I started off doing install back when I first got out of, um, I was like out of high school. I did a little here and there, like doing random stuff. I mean, I did, um, I worked for this company doing like Marine, they did like Marine constructions. They built like piers and bridges. That was kind of like for the birds. I mean, I mean, I guess if you stick with it, it's good money. But at the time it was like, you were always out in the elements. I mean, you know, it's just like, it just wasn't for me, you know, and I didn't really see myself going anywhere with it. So, so, how, uh, so how did you hear about the fire protection industry? What, what originally? So it's weird, you? weird story, but my grandfather, um, who's passed away now, but used to be a union carpenter. Um, and they used to hang out at this bar <laughs> all the time, like a lot of union, union guys. Um, so, um, he was in this bar and, um, at the time, um, the superintendent for a company called national fire protection, um, I guess he was in there and they were just having a beer or whatever. And they had, they had became friends. My grandfather used to also split firewood on the weekends, do all like little odd jobs. And, um, so he was telling them how, you know, his he wants his grandson to get into a trade, you know, this and that. And they started talking. He's like, look, you know, my cup, this is back around 05, you know, things were booming. So he's like, look, you know, we're, we're, we're hiring apprentices right now. So, uh, got in the apprenticeship through the union, through local 669. And that was kind of like, uh, that was kind of where it all started. Um, worked for them for about four years. Um, but I was kind of a hothead when I was young. I mean, I think really? we all, I think a lot of guys are, but I was definitely a hothead. I was, I was hard to tame. I was a lion that was hard to tame, man. So really, um, I was super strong headed, you know, just didn't really, I didn't have the passion for the trade back then, you know what really? I mean? So you're just um, trying to make money. Yeah. You know, you get in and I, and I, but you know, I quickly realized, so, so I worked for them for about four and a half years and, um, and I got out, I had kind of made a bad name for myself, to be honest. And, uh, I kind of, um, jumped around a little bit, um, it kind of a halfway relative, uh, of my, it would have been, it's weird, but it was my father's, I guess you could call him my uncle, but he wasn't my uncle. He was just, I was related to him through marriage when my, when my father was alive. Wow. So um, he started his own small company, um, sprinkler company. Um, he started his own company. Yeah. I had quit. I had quit the company I was with. And um, just because we were doing, we were doing, putting some sprinkler systems in Iraq at a military base. And I was, I was working with a certain, foreman i won't mention any names but it's just it was just it was just it was just a bad it was just a bad experience like we were working up in these racks we really weren't tied off like we were supposed to be because they didn't have like there was no way to tie off and like he was like this particular foreman was like getting mad and like tossing things while we were like 30 feet in the air and i was like all right you know what i just i literally packed my tools up and left so i kind of left i kind of left the union for about six and a half years man and um and I worked for, but I mean, I mean, with that being said, I mean, the, to me, and this, this, everybody's opinion is different union, non-union. Um, I've worked both. There's benefits and there's pros and cons to both. You know what I mean? Um, but I got most of my experience, experience working um, non-union. I just, I, really? I, I kind of, I feel like I was forced to learn quicker and on my own than just be in a basic classroom setting or, you know, um, but with that being said, I did learn a lot in my first, you know, four and a half years doing sprinkler work for the union. I was mostly on open deck jobs. 
But um, I quickly realized that like What's just a, doing. What does open deck mean? Well, when I say open deck, everybody refers to it different. But I'm talking about buildings coming up out of the ground. So basically, um, I say open deck because a lot of uh, in this area just have decks of concrete. You know, when they're building these buildings, so you know you're out. There's no walls up. There's no you know exterior things up. It's just basically you're just standing on concrete slabs with hanging sprinkler pipe you know out in the open um so um and now where you guys are at it's probably not that bad because it stays warm all year round but in this area i mean in this area man it could there's we haven't had one in a while but you can have some pretty brutal winters man so when you're out you know 10 stories up and there's no walls up and the air is just ripping through i mean it gets cold quick (laughs) and i know guys that love install but to me personally, it just wasn't suited for me. I didn't have the interest in it like I should. By install, you mean? Um, like new installations, so you know, like, okay. yeah, like, you know, new installations of sprinkler systems. So, so yeah, a little bit, of, that was like my backstory, you know, where I started out. And I, like I said, I went to work for this small company and it was great. I worked there three and a half years. Um, they were very small. I mean, I think there was only like the whole company together, I think was only like 12 people, you know? And that was with office personnel and everything. Mm. I mean, so it's very small, uh, mom and pop, man, but it was great. I got a ton of experience. I mean, I did anything and everything over there. I did uh, new installations, like what we talked about, deck jobs. I did what they call retrofits, which is where, you know, you have an existing building without a sprinkler system that is requiring a sprinkler system to get installed, which they call retrofit because you're, you're essentially retrofitting a sprinkler system in. I did Mm-hmm. add and relocates which is you know your basic office buildings that are already up and the the basics are already there but you may have to add relocate sprinklers to a certain area to accommodate you know square footage and and, and spray patterns and vice you know so so with that being said i my first probably seven and a half years was 90 percent of install and then um but with that small company i did a good amount of, um, they started getting into, um, some service work here and there, which would be, you know, making your repairs. Um, they did a little bit of inspections with the assistance of a PM, which is a fire or FPE fire protection engineer. Um, cause they weren't really licensed to do inspections. So they would use a fire protection engineer to do them. Um, and I'd, I'd work alongside him cause I was kind of like the lower guy on the totem pole um at that company so um i did did that i did some acceptance testing which is where you you know you're commissioning a brand new system into service basically um alongside of fire marshals uh so fire i mean fire fire marshals are always present during acceptance testing um not in this area so it depends on where you're at usually in maryland or virginia um 90 percent of the counties in maryland yes there are a few counties that use third-party inspectors, and then um, pretty much all of DC is third-party. They don't do any. What's a third, you're never what's, really going to see it. What's a third-party inspector? A third-party is basically a independent firm that would give somebody the same power, basically an authority having jurisdiction type of thing. So they would basically give that inspector the power to sign off on commissioning systems or you know whether it's testing or repairing or whatever um so they're not really a fire marshal no arresting powers but they do have the authority to like 
you know, deny you occupancy or stuff like that based on yeah. a failing system. So, yeah. So that was like my first seven and a half years. And then uh, I got on with another smaller company. Um, they were hiring an inspectors, a helper and uh, came aboard. And I was like, you know, that's something I always wanted to do. I want to try that end of the, of the trade to see if I can kind of grow my passion a little bit more than what I have. And yeah. so um, I took that job and it was kind of a, I worked there for about three and a half years. They were really a really small inspection division um, too. And um, I got a lot of hands on um, and why I was there in them three and a half years after I was there for about a year and a half, I decided I wanted to go get my nice at level one. So I completely did it on my own. Um, Nice set is what you would use to for the industry I'm in in the sprinkler industry, which would be testing and inspections um, slash service. Um, that would be you need to you need to possess that at least a level two to do inspections on your own, and um, obviously a level three you can oversee others doing it. Hmm. Um, How long does it so, take to get to a level two? I believe a level two you have to have at least two and a half years of experience in the field. Um, don't hold me to that. I'm not hundred percent sure. I literally, I literally just got my three. I don't even remember what the, I should know this, <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember what the time frame of work hours slash years in the field was required. I just knew I had met it because I've been doing inspections for whew, going on eight years, nine years now. So yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I got with another company, um, actually a pretty large company over here in the uh, Baltimore metropolitan area. They have some offices down in the Carolinas, and it's called um, BFPE. They're uh, Baltimore Fire Protection and Equipment. They're a pretty well-known company in this area, um, great company to work for. And I went and worked for them for, I left I left the, comp, the small company, Capital Sprinkler, that I started doing inspections with because I seen some more growth opportunity um, at a bigger company. So I uh, went over there. And at the, that time, I actually started working on getting my nice at level two. I achieved that while I was there. Um, and then I stayed there about three and a half years. And then I got this opportunity. I was actually running a service call at a Holiday Inn, which is, was a property that, um, a property that was um, the company I was with, BFP, had the contract for. There was a, I was on call. And um, I don't know if people know what on-call is, but on-call is basically um, when you work for a service slash inspection-based companies, um, you are what they call on-call. And that means if anything happens after work hours, they're basically going to dispatch you to try to correct the issue or repair the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually emergency-based um, stuff. It's, it's usually not anything non-serious. Usually when you get past dispatched on an emergency service call, it's um, the customer has a serious issue that they need resolved, you know, sooner than later. Yeah. So um, it's usually after work hours. Um, so, so anyways, I ran a call at that hotel and they actually just so happened to be a hotel where they had the union meetings and um, the union uh, representatives were there and they asked me if I would ever come back. Well, they asked me if I'd get in and I said, well, I was already in. And they said, well, would you come back? And I said, I, I would absolutely come back to the union if you were able to get me with a company that does predominantly testing inspection service. Um, and they did. Uh, it's been kind of all, all um, downhill from there. I've been at Mona a little over 
let's see. I've been in, I've been there. I think I've started there in November of 2018. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little over four years now. Um, wow. And it's a great company. I mean, uh, they're, they're part of a bigger umbrella um, of electrical companies with the, uh, another company called Arch Key Solutions. Um, they, you may have heard of them. They're out on the West Coast. Um, I think they have a company out there. I'm not sure what they're wanting. They have a company in California and Seattle, Washington, and somewhere else, I think, in either Missouri. So they're pretty big. Um, so say, say I was a brand new person and interested in getting in fire protection, like, where would I start and how long would I say, say I wanted to make $50 an hour uh, in the fire protection industry? How long would it take me to get to $50 an hour? And what would be the steps like just in, in bullet points that I would need to take to get to there? Well, if I was where you were at, I'd probably be making $50 an hour as like a third year helper, man, because them, okay. them, them, them wage rates are high in Cali, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, in in this in, in my particular area, um, you know, DC metropolitan area, um, to get to that kind of money, I would say you'd be looking at anywhere from you know, five to seven years. Mm. Um, I tell everybody it really just depends on how dedicated you are to growth. You know, I mean, if you're willing to put the time and effort in and to learn as much as you can about the industry, um, you're willing to put in the hard work. You know, be patient, learn um, as much as you can and kind of just have that whole like keep your head down and ask questions mentality, you know, yeah. of, of um, doing that. I mean, I'd, I'd say you could progress pretty quick to that to that income, depending on obviously there's so many variables, you know, companies, union, non-union, um, you know, it just it just really depends. I know guys that have unfortunately been doing this for 20 and 30 years and they're still making pennies on the dollar and i just think it's ridiculous that they sell themselves that short and like i said that has nothing to do with like how much how much do you know you know some some guys that have really good skill and yeah i mean what would you say their hourly rate would be in my area i i know personally i know guys that are making you know 20 between 25 and 30 dollars an hour and really good at what they do and they yeah. bust their backs for that money. And I just, I just, to me, that's underselling yourself. And, and that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Everybody has different opinions on that. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not saying mine is right. Um, but, you know, with that being said, uh, uh, me personally, that's what I chose to get back in the union. And I'm not saying that I'll be union for the rest of my life. I don't you know, know what the future will bring, but um, to me, the wage gap, slash and benefit gap is is just like it's so far you know in this in my area what's i don't the, know what's the biggest pro to being union the benefits i mean benefits 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 i mean i just health dental or i mean i i don't pay for any of my benefits i have uh two pensions i have um medical vision dental uh all that um you know and i don't pay it like like for example, I have um, so me and my fiance live together. We're not married yet, but um, just say when we get married, I ha I have two kids from a previous marriage, and she has two kids from a previous marriage, and we have a child together. So we have a big household. We have five kids together. Mm -hmm. um, when if I get married to her, just say hypothetically, when I do, I can put her kids on my insurance and her on my insurance to no additional 
charge to me mm-hmm. whatsoever. They don't, I don't pay any extra for that. Okay. And to me, to me, just, just that being a young, you know, I'm 37, uh, I'm young, I have a big family. Um, to me, that was the main reasoning behind getting back in. Um, everything else is pretty much similar. I mean, union and yeah. non-union. I mean, the work is the same. Um, what's, the, what's the biggest con to being union? Uh, politics, man. <laughs> okay. And what There's way? a lot of, a lot of politics in the union, you know, the, a lot of politics on, um, what, how do I put it? Like, like to me personally, like being in the field, being a worker, I don't, you know, we don't really see it, but I mean, as far as like, there's just, there's a lot of politics that go on in the way they like to, you know, encourage you to do things a certain way or to, you know, think a certain way. And that's not always beneficial to the trade in general if you ask me like like you know um i i, I do think overall that the 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 good outweighs the bad um mm-hmm. for me for my personal opinion um but you know there's definitely pros and cons to everything yeah um but uh you know to each his own and uh, yeah. i just like to see the industry growing um i like to see people from all walks of it you know yeah. and what they do and I mean, I tell you, man, that, like I said, the growth is really endless in, it's really endless. I mean, it's, it's really as far as you, because the industry is a, is a probably the newest industry. Is it? In, in, I mean, I would say our industry is one of the newest as far as um, blue collar kind of trades, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, fire protection really didn't start getting big until like the early 1900s um mm-hmm. so you know i mean you figure i mean electrical and plumbing and stuff like that's been around for ages so yeah. you know but um that that makes me uh that brings me to one of my questions when we're talking about technology advancements and fire protection do you see technology taking away from the jobs in the fire protection industry or do you see technology enhancing the jobs and making it better i think i i believe that it will add fire add jobs to the industry and the reason that i say that is because um because okay builders are always going to go with what's what's economical you know what i mean yeah and as as of right now a water-based sprinkler system is probably the cheapest way to extinguish a fire you know, when, when I say extinguish a fire, I don't mean like a fire extinguisher and I don't even mean extinguish because we all know that that's not what a sprinkler system is designed to do. It's designed to maintain the fire until the fire department arrives. Right. Um, but with that being said, I think it's still the cheapest, most, I think it's the most economic, well, I ain't going to say cheapest. It's the most economical form of, you know, uh, fire protection um, mm-hmm. right now, because when you get into all these things that I do think there will be a future of, like, I see a lot of stuff you guys post. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, like the whole, uh, like the water, like that thing, I think you guys posted the other day, the what thing that was like had a camera and then a shot like a flame of water uh, or like a, like a, didn't it shoot like a solid stream of water or something like that? It was like, I think it was in probably another country or something. I thought, your page posted it, but maybe, maybe you guys posted it on your Instagram. I what, thought it, what was it? It was a, it was, a it was like a, somebody had like lit a little fire, like they were doing a demonstration. And then it was like a, 
it almost looked like a camera and then i think it detected the fire and like shot a big oh, yeah yeah water yeah, yeah that wasn't us i think that was sprinkler life yeah so okay it might have been them so but but that being said like i think stuff like that's going to continually be in developed because i mean obviously everything's always going to keep you know technology is always going to grow things but like mm-hmm. something like that i'm like thinking you know i'm just thinking from from a sprinkler perspective you know like i'm sitting here thinking okay that's really neat but what if that fire grows extremely large very quick you're still going to need something reliable you know to help it and i'm just thinking if that was just say they lit a very small fire and granted it detected it but i'm just thinking what if that fire was really big Mm -hmm. is that single stream cannon going to have the capability of extinguishing that fire it may right we don't know i don't know i've never seen that technology i've Mm -hmm. definitely seen things um a lot of changes since i've been in the industry and i've been blessed to be um have my hands in a lot of stuff that i've never seen in my first you know seven or eight years in the industry like when i started doing inspections um and I was working for that company, BFP. I mean, that, I definitely seen a lot of cool stuff over there. We did some power plants. We did some big data centers. Mm. Um, just, just got to see a lot of uh, defi- definitely like your unorthodox sprinkler systems that are still there. Like, um, like for example, high pressure mist is definitely going to continue to grow um, because mm. it, can, it can extinguish fires with um, water, um, but with minimal damage. Um, mm. I think you'll see FM 200 continue to grow, Mm. uh, which is chemical agents and stuff like that. Um, But it's still, that stuff's still going to far outweigh the cost of a generic sprinkler system. Um, And and there's always going to be. You see Novex systems growing as well? um, Not too familiar, not too familiar with those. When you say Novex systems. Uh, um, Novex 1230. Is that a chemical agent like FM similar to FM two hundred? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I definitely think chemical agents are, are not going to go anywhere. Um, yep. But I mean, just think like um, for example, like what about residential dwellings? I mean, do you, do we think that that technology is ever going to become prevalent in those kind of um, scenarios? I don't think so, personally. Yeah. Uh, NFP. I think it was. Um, it's not NFPA. It's um national fire sprinkler industry or something it's one of the like organizations um that represent fire sprinklers and they say like they're one of the, their slogan is like fastest water and I, I i believe that i think it's still the quickest most economical way to you know yeah. to to control a fire in an emergency situation just water uh, yeah just you know just water um it's obviously super effective um and pretty much i'd say what 90 percent of applications i mean there's always going to be you know your super industrial stuff like for example like power plants you know then you got your kitchens which require the ansel and stuff like that and chemical agents to do grease fires and stuff like that so you're always going to have that kind of stuff that's going to continue to grow but i don't think you're ever going to get away from the concept of just a basic wet sprinkler system in you know in your generic um office buildings uh, residential dwellings, uh, condominiums, stuff like that. I, I don't think it'll go anywhere. Um, it's just, like I said, it's very economical. I mean, they've, you know, now with that being said, I, I don't think the engineering aspect will stop going. You know, I'm sure they're going to find ways to um, innovate, innovate uh, 
piping and fittings and i mean i mean just just in general alone i mean in the past 10 years i mean i'm not sure how familiar you guys are with sprinkler systems um and how much you're interactive with them on a daily basis but i mean it's 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 crazy i mean the amount of innovation that's happened just in you know the 20 years i've been yeah the almost 20 years i've been in what's what's one one example of innovation Um, that's been pretty dramatic uh well one innovation um that i think is uh pretty cool is um the grooved couplings um that's a huge one they've been around for a while now but They've been around for a while now, but I mean, um, interesting. if you go back to, you know, the fifties and sixties, I mean, everything was screwed and welded, man, you know? Yeah. So you take, take that, I mean, and just think of how much time that is saved compared to, you know, putting a piece of pipe in the air and wrenching it together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking, you know, little one inch and two inch branch lines. I'm talking about six inch and eight inch pipe where they're grabbing, humongous wrenches and wrenching that stuff together it's schedule 40 schedule 80 them guys just didn't last long back then either you know what i mean yeah um but to just to think of that kind of and you know but now and you look at victolic i i got the i got the chance to go to um a victolic seminar up at their um their big warehouse and their headquarters up in pennsylvania about six years ago probably Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting seeing some of the new stuff they come out. I mean, they even um, they even developed a new groover. I don't think it's really taken off like they thought it would yet, which I was kind of surprised. But I mean, they have everything from you know used to be where sprinkler heads you'd have to screw them in and and branch lines, and they even have like a whole <laughs> bunch of like one inch and three quarter inch grooved sprinkler heads and stuff that can just pop right on and you know one bolt you tighten it up and it's done. Wow. Um, also dry valves. I mean, dry valves have been by far the, I think dry valves and dry systems are by far the most focused on innovation that they're going to keep focusing on in, in wet, uh, I mean, water-based sprinkler systems. And the reason I say that is because everybody's trying to figure out how to get longevity out of them, right? Okay. You know what I mean? It's about because, longevity. Um, you, you guys probably don't see them as much out here on the West Coast, but in our area, we deal with, I mean, Every if if you go by a weekly basis, I'd say during the summer months, uh, three to five days a week, I could be testing dry systems. Um, wow. okay. Just because all of the parking garages in our area have them, um, any kind of loading docks or exterior areas have them. Yeah. Um, anywhere that can be subjected to freezing is going to have a dry system. Yeah. Um, and the biggest uh, problem I think that faces you know, dry system is just longevity as the system ages, piping deteriorates from condensation, from, you know, mic, from slew of other things that, you know, just cause dry system piping not to last very long. So, so what, um, what way have you seen dry valves change? Uh, well, the majority of your dry valves are now moving towards what they call um, a low pressure dry valves. And in the past, it would always be an air to water ratio on a dry valve. So I'm just going to use an example like a Tyco or a Viking. I believe they're both six to one dry valve. So, you know, basically if you had, um, if you had six pounds, you know, of, uh, of air, you know, it could hold back 36 pounds of water. Moving towards a low pressure uh, system. I mean, Victolic was pretty much the first, uh, 
the first innovator on it. They had um, the low pressure. I think it started with the 768. It's called the uh, 768 dry valve. Um, it was uh, basically, like I said, in the, in the old way of doing it, um, you'd have a six. So basically, just say you had, uh, you know, if you had six pounds of water, it only took one pound of air to hold that water back. And when I say hold that water back, the dry valve, essentially, I try to explain it to people that don't know sprinklers. It's, it kind of works similar to your toilet because mm. you have a you have a clapper in your toilet that holds back the water. Essentially, with the toilet, when you pull the handle, it pulls the clapper up and releases the water. Well, a dry valve works very similar, but it's, it's, a, it's an automatic device. Um, which would basically require loss of air. So I think your air is what's holding that clapper down instead of your, your toilet handle. I tell everybody like, um, you know, when you lose the air, then the clapper comes up on its own because the water pressure pushes it up. Um, so like I said, a lot of your valves would always be air to water ratio. Well, now it still is an air, air to water ratio, but like a lot of the valves now are moving to what they call um low pressure valves and they're having these low air actuators which so like a like a victolic valve like their valves require um anywhere between i want to think 13 to 19 psi of air but that air will hold back anywhere from you know just say 30 psi to 200 psi mm. so it's 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 changing because it and essentially the actuator which the which senses air loss is what trips the valve. It causes the priming line to release the the cylinder um, the cylinder that holds back holds down the clapper instead of in the past where it was just the clapper. There's there's a lot more mechanical components, and I think um, I don't know what the thought process is um, with engineering wise as far as like uh, dry systems and why low air pressure is better, but it's definitely becoming more and more prevalent. And um, the only thing I could think of is from an installation base, um, installation perspective, it's going to be much easier. It's going to be much quicker. It's going to go in um, because I remember also starting out in the industry, you'd get a, um, a Viking, just say I'm using that as an example, a Viking drive having a box with a million trim parts. <laughs> um, and you would, you would literally have to install all the trim on that valve. I mean, that's mm. just how they came back. Yeah. They would come with a little blueprint and you would put that valve in and it would just be just the valve. And then you would have to literally install everything mm. to whereas now I'd say 90% of your dry valves are coming pre-trimmed. I mean, it's coming all fully in one thing. All you got to do is slap it in. And I've, I mean, how a lot of the dry systems now come with the compressor already installed, the Mm. the the butterfly valve already installed everything i mean it literally just installs you just connect the, you just connect the water supply and the drain and that's it man mm. so um how is yeah. working how's working with the city anyway uh, as as far as dc or like yeah so, city, like, yeah, so what, how, um, much, in, how much interaction in our, are you? yeah in our area just because we're in like a tri-state area it's so weird because um, basically from an inspection standpoint, um, I'd say, yeah, I mean like all of Maryland, uh, is basically just, um, you, your sprinkler company holds the license. I hold the nice set. So basically I just go in and do my thing and then they'll submit it to the building. Now, if they would ever require it, the local jurisdictions may require them to send their annual sprinkler or fire alarm and, 
any fire protection stuff to like a local authority having jurisdiction. Um, DC is pretty much a <laughs> DC is pretty much fair game. I don't think anybody requires anything in DC that I know of. Um, yeah. Virginia, Virginia, believe it or not, man, Virginia is the is the strict state in our area. Um, mm. And you, it's uh, there. Um, the four jurisdictions, well, three jurisdictions directly outside of DC um, in Virginia um, are the ones that we always have a lot of te- testing witnessed by fire marshals, um, and yeah. that would be that would be um, Fairfax County, Arlington County, and the city of Alexandria, Virginia. Mm. And those three jurisdictions are pretty much all um, um, bordering uh, Washington, D.C. Um, other than that, man, I mean, we don't really ever deal with them. I mean, it's, uh, I think in the future, and I don't, and I don't know, I know everybody's, every state is a little different in the, in the um, requirements they have, you know, for enforcing code and stuff like that. But um, I think in the future, what's going to drive the most of our um, industry is insurance companies. Um, really? They seem to hold more the customer more accountable than a local authority having jurisdiction does from my, from my perspective. Yeah. I was going to ask about quality control. Yeah. I mean, um, like for example, I mean, we deal with a lot of insurance companies where they want certain things, um, to see certain things. Like for example, like doing a fire pump, they want to see, um, documentation on the report that it's been aligned and the coupling has been checked because that's like one of the failure rates. Yeah big failure rates and fire pumps. Um, they want to see um, uh, that we have uh, uh, one insurance company in our area that, um, and I'm pretty sure they're everywhere, but they do not like seeing 10 minute run timers on fire pumps. Um, mm. They just do not. They, they always, uh, anytime we get into a building where they come in um, as a new insurance company, they always, the customer always call us and they'll say, Hey, um, do we have a 10 minute runtime? Yeah. Okay. Well, they want to know how we can disable it. So can we get a quote to take it off because they want it off? So it's like, um, and they're definitely, they, I definitely see the insurance companies. Um, they definitely, in my ex, uh, experience, they do drive a lot of the five-year testing because I'll be honest with you, man. I mean, in the past, like I said, this is, this is going from my experience in our area. A lot of customers don't, um, do five-year testing. And I don't know if it's just because they're not knowledgeable on it um, and they've never been so, not sold it because I don't want to say it's just a selling point, but because I think it's definitely super important to do five-year testing. Um, of course. But um, I, I don't, I mean, in the past, I don't hardly see, but in the, but in the past 10 years, man, I think it's grown substantially seeing the amount of customers that are asking for five-year testing and, you know, having it done and, having the proper documentation. And I think the insurance companies are driving the majority of that. Really? Yeah. It's interesting. So they just don't know about the, the five-year test. I mean, I'm not even going to say they don't know, but I mean, you know, as well as I do, but it's just, so it's, it's probably all down to a cost, you know, a cost versus, um, advantage, like, you know, yeah. Cost advantage. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I definitely, it was pretty rare to see it in the past, but I mean, being, since I've been with Mona, I mean, we, we used to always put it in our reports. Um, to, you know, if there was no documentation on site, 
we would just put, you know, recommend five, all five-year testing that's due and, and there, there's no doc, current documentation. Or if there was documentation, we'd say, five, you know, five-year testing on such, such, and such was performed in such date by such con, you know, by, by other contractors or, yeah. you know, um, so on and so forth. Um, just trying to keep some kind of a record of it, you know. Um, I, I mean, I found some crazy stuff on five-year testing, man. I mean, oh, please I tell, remember, please tell, give me. Oh, I mean, you know, just one time trying to hydro test an FDC, um, which is where you know you would pump it up to two hundred fifty or two hundred psi or fifty pounds over working pressure, and just breaking some of the couplings loose to tie it up. I mean, there was just. Just to say endless debris in there. It was disgusting. <laughs> I, I had to put gloves on to touch it. Um, I mean, it was just nasty. I mean, I've seen, I mean, because, and that's, that's one of the things uh, I think the fire department connections are always, there's so many small things that are often overlooked in our industry that could be like the biggest failing point on a system. Like, for example, like I'm very, I'm, I'm very adamant about doing main drains um, and documenting if I cannot open that main drain up fully. And the, the main reason is, is because that main drain is determining one thing. If you read the annex of NFPA 25, I mean, that main drain is essentially determining one thing. It's determining if you have some kind of obstruction on the street, you know, or, or anywhere in that system. Um, we, not at the company I'm with now, but, um, it's probably seven or eight years ago, but when I first started doing inspections, we were doing a fire pump test and um, we were getting like horrible flow. So started breaking everything apart um, and looking, we did like an, uh, what they call an open inspect on the fire pump. Well, there had been a two by four that had got sucked. It was probably had been there for a while, but it probably just oh, got no. soft and enough to where it would work its way down. Had got sucked all the way into the to fire pump, you know, a two wow. by four. Wow. So it just goes to show you the amount of things that, that can happen um, if you don't go. Well, well, we started pulling things apart and it just it ended up just being a um, a wild goose chase. They ended up pulling a bunch of main. This is, it was in a warehouse. Um, piping was roughly like 30 feet high. Well, I think it might've been even, it may have been, and you know, we'll never know this because the system was probably put in 30 years ago or whatever, you know what I mean? But I, I don't really remember like how old it was. I know the building was older, you know, but at minimum 10, 10 to 15 years old. And I mean, there it ended up being like boards stuck. All, we ended up having to pull mains apart all over because we just kept finding more stuff. I mean, there was just so many two by fours. It was like, I don't know if it was like a, like a sabotage type, not a sabotage. I don't know what you want to call it. Like, yeah, like something like that where guys were shoving boards and pipes when it was still under construction or something trying to, you know, who knows but but i mean just the stuff like stuff you find like that i mean i found um uh one time we went to trip a valve that had not been there was a brand new valve and so you know we go to drop air and we air and drop it and the valve should be tripping by now because there's like no air and there's like still water pressure and i'm like what's gonna be going on well somebody put a new control valve in and they didn't remove the plastic protective caps on the control valve and then got picked up so it's like you wouldn't think that something like that would hold back 50 pounds of water, but it just goes to show you if you're not, if you're not being thorough with the small things that could come back to bite you. I mean, like I said, fire department connections are huge. That's another huge one. People stuff, 
people pull the protective caps off. People steal the protect. People steal the, you know, plugs. Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, they they shove trash down in there. So you know, what people don't realize when you're shoving trash down that fire department connection is, okay, that in the event that that building ever catches on fire, first thing the fire department connection fire department's going to do is connect to that fire department connection and pump water pressure in so they can control the pressure in that system when that happens if there's just say a bunch of rocks down there that people are stuck in there they're going to go to the small they're going to work their way all the way out to where the fire is which is essentially could be a sprinkler head that rock could clog that sprinkler head yeah. That rock could essentially allow that fire to grow much more than it would in the event that there wasn't any obstructions in there. Um, I mean, just so many things. Um, pre-action systems, I'm, I'm very adamant on tripping them. Um, a lot of times, um, pre-action systems cover areas where sensitive equipment is, is at, and they don't want them um to have any water introduced in the piping which is fine nfpa uh well actually nfpa 25 says you're supposed to trip every two years but a lot of times customers just don't want it so you know we yes. can't force their hand so i'll usually will document it and i'll do a partial trip but you at minimum should be doing a partial trip and making sure that valve um, a lot of pre-actions work off of priming pressure um and requiring that priming pressure to be you know released through a solenoid through means of a solenoid yeah and or or low pre air pressure actuator and um i what, tell you man, what is what is a solenoid a solenoid is a um essentially a electronic valve um that would open or close through the means of low voltage being introduced to um what's essentially a magnet that will pull a you know valve open up open or you know just just normal to be closed um, and a lot of times pre-action systems um, are very similar to a dry system, but they will be put in a sensitive facility where, you know, there could be computer equipment, there could be um, something that uh, electric electronics that they don't want to have. Basically, it's going to require a, a means of detection, um, like a smoke detector or a pilot line with sprinkler heads, um, as well as... Uh, an actual sprinkler head and you would need both of those devices to activate in order to um, you would need both of those devices to activate in order to grab um, to set off that valve what, what do you tell somebody who's 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 immersed in the fire protection industry right now whether that's a sprinkler fitter fire engineer uh, technician inspector what would you tell them they're just immersed in it and they're burnt out and I would say stick with it. If, if, if you think, if you, th I mean, obviously if you're completely burned out and you don't think there's oh, a future for you, Matt's coming in, but keep going. Yeah, go ahead. I, I would say that, you know, if you, if you, um, if you don't think there's any future whatsoever, I absolutely get out to give somebody else a chance. But, you know, if there's any, if there's any hope, if there's, if, there, if there's any hope for you to stick with it, stick with it, man, because I'll be hundred percent honest. Like back when I did install, I'll be hundred percent honest. I told everybody from the beginning, beginning, I'm like, man, this isn't for me. 
Like, I'm not going to stick with this. It's just going to be a couple year job to get me by. And I figured out what I want to do. Yeah. I was really into cars as a, as a young kid and I still yeah. am. Um, and I wanted to go do collision repair because that's what I did in high school. And I liked it. Yeah. Um, that was my Votech that I took. And I was just like, ah, this is just going to be a temporary thing. You know what I mean? Um, and if I would have kept doing install, it very well might have because it just didn't interest me. But man, when I got into inspections and just kind of like digging into the code book and diving in and researching code and just the more I became interested, you know, yeah. of how things work and, you know, um, you know, how things work, how they everything kind of works together and different components and the code and I, I really prided myself on growing mm, okay. and when I say growing I mean like um, you know educating myself on things yeah. like um, one of the previous companies I worked for when I first started doing inspections um, they, they were just very small and they had been doing inspections for a while and they had been um, very, I'm just going to say old school in the way they did things. And I didn't really, the more I read code, I realized I was like, all right, this may not be like a fit for me for long-term because I don't really know if they're willing to grow with the industry. Um, and with that being said, that's when I started to get my nice sets and I started to like research more code. And I'm like, I don't think we're necessarily doing things right here. Yeah. Some of the stuff we're doing and, I, and i'm not saying that that's you know look man at the end of the day i don't own a company um or any of that but i but i do hold myself accountable for anything i sign my signature on yeah so yeah. i'd prefer to do it as best as i can yeah and with the most hey, holding, matt. hey matt how you doing i don't know i don't know if he can I see think, me or i think anything. he i think he's connected to audio hey matt Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing? Oh, there he Good. is. He's at, he's at the beach, man. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful day in Rockport, Massachusetts. Oh, very nice. How, it, uh, Donnie is, is in uh, Baltimore, just between Baltimore and D.C. How far are you yeah. guys from each other? Uh, probably a good bit still. Probably seven or eight hours, I'd imagine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, from probably where I live, seven or eight hours from here, probably another like two. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Is the are the beaches like still like? Is it like hot there in the summer? I know that's, uh, I know that's a dumb question. It's probably like, like eighty degrees outside today. It's okay. It's a lot cooler than I live in Connecticut. It's a lot hotter in Connecticut. Yeah. I feel like right now than here, but we're all, I'm also right. north of Boston, so you get some cold cold yeah. air coming in. Ah, man! I was telling Barrett that we were just down in Florida vacation, and man, I seen quite a bit of uh, Massachusetts tags down there. I was pretty surprised. <laughs> yeah, well, I I don't know. That's hot down there. <laughs> I mean, man, I know, but I'm just thinking, like for me, like that was a 13 hour drive straight. So somebody coming from Boston, it had to be like a two dayer, man. Yeah, I mean, we used to go to like South Carolina as a kid. And that was definitely a two day drive. It was yeah, yeah not fun. <laughs> That's brutal, yeah. Well, Matt, um, thanks for joining in, man. Um, Donnie was just telling us about uh, how would you explain to somebody in the industry uh, who's burnt out, who's tired, who uh, wants to keep moving forward and growing in the industry, but is just tired. Uh, what would you say to that to that person? I mean. 
this industry is evolving so much all the time. You just, the biggest thing is you got to keep learning, right? You got to keep putting education first because as soon as you feel like you know a whole bunch of stuff, something changes. And yeah, yeah. It, you know, it can take a burden on you, but at the same time, to me, it's fun. Like, I love learning about this kind of stuff. I don't really come from a fire protection background, but I've fallen in love with it. And it's just, I don't know, man, you just gotta, just gotta keep learning stuff, man. It's, there's yeah, so much changing. There's so many things coming out, so many different things. It's just, I mean, I, if you get burnt out in the fire protection industry, it's, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Well, I was, I was I telling mean, Barrett that, um, that, you know, like when I first started doing fire protection, I started out in doing install with sprinkler. Um, and I quickly realized like it just didn't interest me. So I still did it for like roughly like eight years, um, seven and a half, eight years. But, uh, when I started getting into testing inspections slash service of sprinkler and fire alarm and stuff like that, I realized that that was my niche, man. So, you know, don't give up like if anybody, I mean, there's so many different, um, like, like Matt was saying, there's so many different aspects that you can get into and you can dive into. If you don't like one, there's always a chance, especially if you work for a company that does, um, fire protection in a whole like you know when i say that i mean like they may do everything from fire alarm to sprinkler to you know extinguishers to special hazards to you know um specialized systems i mean it's just you know there's so many different things you can jump into you can do designing you can do engineering you can do you know testing you can do install you can do i mean it's just it's like it's it's a very vast industry you know what yeah. i mean yeah matt what yeah uh, it's hard to what oops, what what are you working on now? I'm sorry, me. Well, yeah, what? Yeah, what are you working on now? <laughs> right now, I'm working on vacation, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's so hey, kind of go off. He's working on kind of go he's off. Working on a couple asked, long though. necks right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I was on the R and D side, and I I love what I did, but it it got repetitive after a while. And and like you said, I mean, there's so many different avenues of fire protection, whether it's alarms or sprinklers or special hazards, or you know, there's so many things that you can kind of zero in on and specialize in that you might find a lot of passion in. Like, you might be like, I don't like water based, but foam to me is amazing, and there's so much you can do with foam, or you know, or whatever. I mean, there's so many different aspects to this industry. It's always look for change isn't always a bad thing. Um, yeah. and I, I learned that from my sister at a young age, she switched jobs like crazy. And I was like, you're nuts. Like <laughs> you don't want to be like the person that sticks with the company and gets that, you know, you know, all the vacation time, all the, you know, 401k money. And she switched jobs like crazy and probably makes like 10 times what I do now. And really she's, she's right. I mean, you, there's so many, always look for opportunities and change and you might be for this fire protection company over here and you might find something better in that fire protection company over there and they'll let you do what you really love um you just you got to figure out what you like about it and just kind of zero in on it and find find someone to do it because this this industry is also growing so much that it seems really easy to find work in these days i mean everyone that i talk to that comes in my door is like oh yeah we can't find enough guys to do all our inspections, do all our service work, do all our installs. It's just yeah, the industry. There's always work. There's always work. Yeah. So if you don't like what you do, you can find something that you do like in this industry. Huh. Here, baby. <laughs> y'all both, both have, have, have Yeah, my kids. toddler here is the babe, uh, 
his kid. <laughs> He's like looking at the iPad right now, like what? Yeah. Uh, so I would love to ask Matt this question uh, because Donnie had such an amazing answer, but uh, do you see technology taking over the fire protection industry jobs or do you see it just enhancing uh, the jobs? I think it's going to make it better. So, you know, there's certain things out there already that I think make inspections easier, testing easier. I'm not someone who likes not having someone in the fire pump room doing a, even a churn test. So I'm not a big fan of automated testing of fire pumps, but I think a lot of things that we have in our systems can be monitored remotely to make our jobs easier. You know, if you can tell, hey, my low point drains don't have water in them. I don't have to go empty them in the fall time every year. And I think things like that are going to continue to evolve to the point where, you know, technology is going to complement the fire protection industry. I don't think it's going to take jobs away. I just think it's going to make, you know, things easier for people to do these jobs to the point where they can get more jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're with Johnson controls now, right? Yes. Very cool. And that is, uh, at the, that's in Rhode Island. There's a facility that you teach at, right? Correct. What is that? Yep, I work, uh, the Frederick Arnell Education Center in Cranston, Rhode Island. Very nice. It's, it's a pretty fun facility. Not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of people. You have a lot of people come through there. Yes. Um, I mean, Training. we're we're booking in a 2023, almost in a 2024 already. That's cool, and, man. It's, it's so busy. It's, I'm lucky to have awesome coworkers so I can take a week off and go on vacation. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's been nonstop, but at the same time, I love it because you meet people from all over the world, all different experiences, all different backgrounds. It's, it's a fun experience. Now, are you teaching like, are you teaching like other people like that are not in the industry, how to work on things or like how to like manage it? Or? Um, so, I mean, our, our main thing is, you know, basically NFPA 25 classes with, okay. you know, maybe a little bit of NFPA mixed in, a little bit of NFPA 20. But yeah, we also cool. deal with a lot of companies that might have engineers that are going to do, you know, work for different companies and evaluating or not necessarily evaluating, but making sure their fire protection systems are working the way they should be. And, yeah. you know, teaching them ITM aspect of it as well. So you get a yep. lot of different crowds. I mean, we get guys that have been doing a lot of uh, the trend I see is a lot of guys do um, installs over the years and then move into the inspection side of things. Cause they're like, yep. I don't want to be <laughs> plugging pipe grooving pipe and cutting pipe all day long and i want to do the inspection side of it so you get a lot of that and then you get a lot of people that are just green and thrown right into it and it's everything in between so it's kind of fun to be able to meet people from all different backgrounds and experiences and you know i, I always say to my classes like i'm going to learn as much from you guys as you are you're going to learn from us because you guys have a wealth of knowledge and background history that i might not have seen before yeah you guys, you guys both have uh, an immense amount of knowledge. Um, I, I, uh, I love talking with you on Instagram. Uh, you guys, yeah, same, likewise. You, you two are my greatest engagers, and uh, you just you have so much good things to say. And Matt sent some cool sprinkler videos. I don't know if you saw them, Donnie, but 
uh, he sent several different types of, of sprinklers and I sent, okay. I made videos of the spray patterns. Okay. Did you see that video? I, I believe I did. I'm not a hundred percent positive. There. Yeah. It's, it's several different sprinklers. Okay. And, uh, it was like, like, a, up, like uprights, pendants and like some attic heads maybe or something like that. That's cool. Yep. yep. Parmalee or Parmalee. Right on. So, uh, that was just really cool of, uh, of Matt to do. And, um, his training facility is beautiful. I mean, the inside is just, it's so cool. It looks like a, it looks like a stage. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like they're putting on a play. Yeah. You it know, sounds like, a lot. It sounds like very similar. Like, um, like when I went to Vic, uh, Victalik's, uh, like training facility, obviously it's only their equipment, but it sounds, I'm sure it's somewhat similar to that. It was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think that that's good for people who are just starting off and training to go and, and kind of see that. My little, my little guy here, he's super uh, Hey, little guy. Uh, Say hi. Hi. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. He's, he just keeps looking at the tablet, but he doesn't want to like. <laughs> uh, well, he's welcome to put his input too, if he'd like. Uh, we've only got, we've only got two or three minutes left because I said we'd go till, till 410, but. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for jumping in, and Donnie, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, no problem, man. Uh, we're growing really fast, and uh, I just wanted to um, to bring this up because I think that the fire protection industry needs um, needs uh, a group of people to talk about it, to talk about what's going through, what's going on, the struggles, uh, the wins. Uh, just before you go, what do you think is the uh, the biggest win you've had over the next over the last six months in the industry like something you've overcome something that you've uh that you've got as a as a glimmer of hope that for people who might be just like ah, i can't overcome this hurdle but you overcame it so it was, i'd love if both of you could answer that and then uh, we can call it a day yeah you can go ahead first matt ah uh, <laughs> i mean to be honest I just love a challenge. So, and that's yeah. part of the reason, like, I love your page is because people ask questions, people post things and being a training facility doing off of, you know, the most recent version of any NFPA, um, whether it be 25, 20, 13, I just love when people ask questions that I don't know the answer to, Yeah. because to yeah. me, that means I have to dig deep into and Even sometimes it's an FM data sheet or, usually it's NFPA 13 or an FM data sheet that I really have to dig deep into and find the answer to. And every time someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to, yeah. it's just kind of like, all right, I have to jump in. I have to find out what is, what does the code say? And because I have to do that, I'm always learning. Yep. And that's why I love like subscribing to different like Instagram pages and different articles through different companies like, you know, AFSA, NFPA, um, I just, I love a challenge and there's, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot, there's a not, lot of not like a certain, certain big win, but it's just every time someone comes up with a question that I don't honestly know the answer to, yep. I'm going to do everything I can and talk to the people I have to, to dig in deep and find the answer to that question. Yep. That's awesome, man. It's like some, that's some severe dedication right there. That's, <laughs> I mean, but that's what you have to have. You do, you know, in order to have the passion for the industry, because if you don't have that, 
dedication and that drive, man, that's where you're going to kind of get to where you were saying earlier, where you feel like you're burned out. Stuck. Yeah. But yeah, man, for me personally, um, in the last six months, um, I guess, I mean, I'm getting my nice at level three was a huge accomplishment. Um, uh, I was, I'm always petrified of taking tests, but then I seem to do really well. Um, but that, that test had a lot of, um, I, I have to be a hundred percent honest, man. I definitely thought that I failed the test. Um, because I mean, a lot of people that know nice know it's more about time management than, than anything. Um, but just like being uneducated on some of the things it was asking about, um, like as far as, uh, a lot of tank questions, a lot of foam questions, um, just being, I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with foam, but not a, not a ton. So, um, just, just knowing like, and learning how to research the annex in NFPA 25 and 13. Um, I just feel like to me, like that, doing that test helped me because I learned a lot from the annex that, you know, I've been in this industry for, like I said, 17 years now. And, um, some of the stuff I still, like you, like, like Matt said, you can just continue to learn every day, but for me, that was my biggest accomplishment was gaining my level three nice set and testing and inspections, uh, yeah. 25. So, um, but, um, but man, definitely, uh, you can definitely, um, there's like, like, like he said, there's definitely always more to learn. Um, yeah. Cause like going in that and just digging through that annex, I mean, it, it literally will walk you through pretty much every scenario you can come across. And I, I never knew that, you know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, for me, that was it yeah just thank you so much for coming on and uh i'll be keeping you updated on what we're doing and 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 you know love that you're interacting with the page and uh, i look forward to kind of seeing more of what you're doing if you're on the field and you have some stuff come up or videos or anything that you want to share please send it over well it's a pleasure meeting both of you if i'm ever yeah in, nice uh, meeting you too guys if i'm ever in california or um connecticut i'll have to look you up <laughs> yeah yeah. I feel like I might be a little bit closer. <laughs> yeah, just a tad, just a tad, you know. A little.